0: Welcome to Museum Archipelago. I'm Ian Elsner. Museum Archipelago guides you through the rocky landscape of museums. Each episode is never longer than 15 minutes. So let's get started. Museums on the Australian island of Tasmania are a microcosm of museums all around the world. They struggle with properly interpreting their colonial past, the exclusion of First Peoples from telling their own stories in major museums, and having a large, privately-owned art museum reshape a small town. This month on Museum Archipelago, we're taking you to Tasmania. For the next three episodes, we're conducting a survey of museums on the island and exploring how each of them relates to the wider landscape of museums. Today, we begin at the Cascades Female Factory in the Tasmanian capital city of Hobart. It's at the center of a shift in how Australians think of the role that convicts played in the colonization of the island.
1: The male convict story is the story that everyone's heard about and everyone sort of seems to have an affinity or want to discover something about it. It's odd that the female story is equally, you know, as fascinating and as intricate as the male story. And yet until recently, nobody's really shown that much of an interest in it with the exception of family researchers or people who have a specific connection.
0: The site tells the story of European colonization of Van Diemen's Land, the original European name for Tasmania, from the female perspective.
1: The whole penal transportation to Australia and subsequently to Van Diemen's Land started as a result of prisons in England, post-Industrial Revolution and people turning to crime to, you know, without all of the industries that they were used to, machines taking their jobs. The prisons just started to literally overflow. So they needed a mechanism to get the people out of those spaces, stop the overcrowding, and the colonisation of Australia was an attempt, or one of the many attempts, to get that population out of Britain and essentially far, far away. Over 170,000 men, women and children were transported from Britain during the transportation phase. Uh, which started in New South Wales in the late 1700s and in Van Diemen's Land in 1803.
0: The only museum in Tasmania that represents the female convict story is the Cascades Female Factory, where Dr. Jody Steele works as the Heritage Interpretation Manager.
1: Hi, my name is Jodie Steele. I am the Heritage Interpretation Manager for the Port Arthur Historic Site Management Authority. We are lucky enough to be the portfolio managers of three World Heritage Sites, which form part of the Australian Convict Sites World Heritage nomination, and the Female Factory fall under our portfolio.
0: Understanding why the site is called the Female Factory, means understanding how the female convicts were seen as resources to the early colonists.
1: Moving men out here as a labor force was something that seemed to make a lot of sense to the early Brits. To be able to pack up men and move them across to fall trees and to gather all the materials necessary for building, as in literally building, a new colony. And then, of course, if you want that population to grow... That can't be done with men alone. So in the early 1800s, the first vessels with women on board came. Those women in the first days as convicts were usually assigned directly out to the early Hobart population as your servants, so your housemaids, your cooks and things like that. As soon as anyone in that situation needed to be reprimanded for anything that they'd done, they needed an establishment to do that. So as a result of that, the Cascades Female Factory was established.
0: Right here.
1: Yeah, right here where we're sitting. So the female convicts were an amazing resource uh, to that particular set of colonials. They could have female convicts come in and care for their children, uh, wet nurses, educators. um, And a lot of these women weren't just petty criminals, you know, they were quite skilled at a number of trades. So you had your seamstresses and all of the trades that the men didn't lend their hands to. You needed somebody to do laundry for the colony. And so having a prison filled with women who you wanted to put under hard labor to punish them. Laundry was one of the greatest ways to do that. You could, all of the military presence could have their their uniforms laundered here and washed and ironed. So it gave the colony a massive resource of trades that the men weren't doing, which is why it got its name as the female factory.
0: The system operated under a strict series of punishments that was nevertheless at the discretion of the guards. It was managed by a hierarchy of those incarcerated, and was encouraged by attitudes towards what it meant to be a respectable woman in the colonial society.
1: A lot of the women who were assigned out were assigned out to people, some of them to people that they knew, some of them even to their husbands, which is quite curious. And I think in those instances... There's an absurdity to the system where these women were assigned to people that they were genuinely in love with, they wanted to have families with, they got pregnant. Pregnancy, while you were under sentence, was considered a crime, which meant that those women ultimately would be removed from their assignment, brought back here to have the child. They would spend time with the child when it was a baby. They would be usually weaned quite quickly from their mother and sometimes, you know, within, within months, uh, that mother would then be back under sentence, being punished, separated from her child, uh, with the child being left in the care of, of other convict women in the nursery. Um, usually by sort of three years of age, the child would then be removed from this location, the nursery here, and removed into an orphan school. Um, you may never see your child again. Now, as somebody who wanted to have that baby with the person they were with, that must have been horrific. And then there is the flip side to that story. When you could be assigned out to an individual master, he um, may have had absolutely no choice in falling pregnant and yet you were the one who gets punished for, for that occurring. Um, you would come back in here and quite often that individual that individual who you were assigned to originally would simply just get a new female convict servant um, and, you know, you're left under punishment for something that was clearly not your fault. It must have been horrific.
0: Dr. Steele says the biggest interpretation challenge is that it's so easy for visitors to see the entire population of incarcerated people rather than individuals with vastly different, often contradictory, experiences.
1: People come with a an understanding of a mass population. They think of the convict population. And unless they happen to be descended from an individual convict, they find it really hard to think about the individual within the system. Um, And with over 7,000 women passing through this sort of, you know, these few yards alone, it, it seems to be that mass mentality that we try to break down here, which is one of the, well, from my perspective, is one of the more fun things that I get to do, is to find the odd individual who's got an amazing tale, whether it be of you know a tragic tale or a tale of resilience and, and strength.
0: Telling the stories of individuals is complicated by the fact that not many artifacts remain. The site itself is made up of three yards, surrounded by sandstone walls, with only markings on the ground indicating the size of prison cells or nurseries.
1: The challenge here, unlike a lot of our other um, convict site museums, is that the artifactual material associated with female convicts isn't really present. Even our state museums don't have a lot of material associated with female convicts. There isn't The material history surrounding them that's been maintained like it has for the men. That's probably one of the hardest things to deal with is the fact that the um, most of the convict population clearly uh, didn't have access to the time or the inclination to sit down and write a daily journal Um, And most of them, the literacy wasn't particularly high, usually when they arrived, but part of the convict system was actually educating a lot of these people. So a lot of them left with a much better education than when they came in. Uh, But again, by the time they could have sort of sat down and and written a journal, they were most likely off getting married, building businesses, you know, building the the colony as it is today. So there's a massive gap, and we really do rely heavily on what is the administrator's view of these individuals, right down to the way they described them when they got off the ships, Um, and then we rely heavily on their descendants who have all those stories and the oral histories associated with how their family sort of built up from these individual women.
0: Dr. Steele talks about a massive cultural shift in Australian attitudes towards ancestors who may have been incarcerated. Because the family stories of the female factory go back just two or three generations, it's an opportunity for the museum to better interpret and educate by becoming a hub for those stories.
1: For a very long time, having a convict ancestor was considered something to be ashamed of. And that's probably only shifted in the last 20 years, where people now have this sense of pride of being descended from a convict when they were became aware that even though they may have been criminals, some of them quite serious, some of them petty, um, that they were responsible for essentially building the new colony of Australia. And so that's that's been a real shift in people being really proud of it now. And because genealogical research is now like enormous, um, we've got access to things that that aren't that oppressor record or that aren't the convict records, you know, business records and you know, images of shop fronts where these people built businesses. Massive, massive change in attitude.
0: The female factory is in the middle of a design process to open a brand new history and interpretation center on the site. The process began with an architectural design competition judged by an all-female panel.
1: It's really important when we're working on this site that we recognise the contribution of women to society. I mean, that is that is why this place is is recognised. Um, and part of that process when we, we put the call out for the, the architectural design competition was that we really wanted uh, women to contribute to this project. Uh, we had over 50 original um, people who came in, um, who put their hand up to get involved in the competition. And... Uh, we pulled together a team of amazing women, um, mostly architects, um, and the chair of our board, uh, Sharon Sullivan, um, who oversaw the process and and did all of the review of all of the nominations, looking for things like female contribution. Um, of course, looking at the heritage impacts and how the building would would sit in the in the landscape and what stories the building itself might tell. The the new building that that we're hoping to put in this space. Um, will be clearly identifiable as a brand spanking new building. That is that is part of our intention. Um, but it will also hopefully be, aside from being a beautiful architectural structure, we're hoping that it will recede and then the, the individual stories will come out as you're inside the building. The building will be located over the cell block location. So I guess, you know, in a lineal form, it will represent part of the historic landscape. But... Outside of that, um, most of our storytelling will have to be in a very different format and we'll have to get really creative. We work really closely with a group of people that are uh, called the Female Convict Research Centre that started as as a bunch of of women, female researchers who um, I think they would forgive me for saying they are totally obsessed with female convict history. Um, And they have built up an amazing database of all of the female convict women. Um, And so we have access to that database. Um, And it would, I mean, what an amazing thing to be able to know that you have a female convict ancestor, to be able to come here to tap into that, find out how long they were here, exactly what space they were living in, working in, even being punished in, to be able to go to that space, you know, and, and stand essentially in the footprints of your ancestor would be an amazing thing.
0: You can see the winning design in the show notes for this episode. The architects call for a beautiful but solemn building with plenty of play between the open spaces of the yards, as they are today, and the confined spaces of the cells, as they used to exist. Hobart is a city partially built with convict labor, but the reminders, the type of stone on a building, for example, are subtle, and you have to know what you're looking for. A structure like the one proposed removes the subtlety and makes it harder to forget.
1: I would would love you know, the female convict history to be the first thing that people engage with and, and then to flow on into into the story of the men. I want people to walk away, even if they don't have a better understanding of, of convict female convict history, I want them to walk away asking questions. And I think that's what we all want in when we build these places. We want them to start questioning what they believe, what they think, what they knew before they walked in the door. I don't necessarily... I mean, subliminally, I'd love to educate everyone who walks through the door, but quite often those people are on holidays and they probably don't want me lecturing to them for an hour and a half about convict history. Um, But I want them to walk away questioning, you know, what this place meant to Tasmania or, you know, what the women at least felt or went through to try and get some kind of, you know, gut reaction from them as to that experience that these people went through to create the place that we live and work in today.
0: Do you like the podcasts I make? Club Archipelago is the best way to support me. It gives you access to a special bonus podcast that's an even deeper dive into the museum landscape, kind of like the director's commentary to the main show. There are longer versions of some of my interviews, commentary on the industry as a whole, and incited tours of various museums from past guests, all with the same humor and quality you've come to expect from Museum Archipelago. Join today for as little as $2 at patreon.com museumarchipelago and get Museum Archipelago logo stickers mailed straight to your door. That's patreon.com museumarchipelago. This has been Museum Archipelago. You'll find a full transcript of this episode, along with show notes, at museumarchipelago.com. If this is your first show, don't forget to subscribe for free in your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. And next time, bring a friend.
1: I can admit I, like you, am a total museum junkie. And wherever I go, I drag anyone who I'm traveling with to every possible museum in every possible place that I travel around the globe. I'm the person that reads the sign and then taps on the material to find out what they've made it out of, what printing process they've used, whether or not I like their font. You're there. You're there with me. You do it in every museum you walk into.